Today's sermon comes from Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Hudson Taylor was an English missionary, well known for his work, mission work in China. And while he was serving in China, uh, his wife and a child died. His wife gave birth to uh, a child. Two weeks later, the child died. And then right as that happened, his wife's strength, her name was Maria, her wife, his wife's strength started to, to wane. And she began uh, to die as well. And there was this interchange between Hudson Taylor and his wife. He said, darling, do you know that you are dying? She said, dying? Do you think so? What makes you think that? He said, I can see it, darling. Your strength is giving way. She said, can it be? I feel no pain, only weariness. Hudson said, you're, you're going home. Soon you will be with Jesus. And there was this pause. There was this moment of silence. And then Maria, his wife, whispered, I'm so sorry. Hudson Taylor said, you're not sorry to go be with Jesus, are you? And she said, no, 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 it's not that. But it does grieve me to leave you alone at such a time. Yet he will be with you and meet all your needs. There was a, a missionary who was standing by as this conversation unfolded. And he said later, I never witnessed such a scene. As dear Mrs. Taylor was breathing her last, Mr. Taylor knelt down and committed her to the Lord, thanking him for having given her to him and for the 12 and a half years of happiness they had had together. And then a few days later, Hudson Taylor wrote this. 
I cannot describe to you my feelings. I do not understand them myself. I feel like a person stunned with a blow or recovering from a faint and as yet but partially conscious. My father has ordered it. So therefore, I know it is. It must be best. And I thank him for so ordering it. I feel utterly crushed. Oftentimes, my heart is nigh to breaking. But with all I had almost said, I never knew what peace and happiness were before. So much have I enjoyed in the very sorrow. What a... What a description of sheer, uh, of sheer pain and sorrow, but this joy and this thanks that goes with it. And it, it raises the question that we read in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, where it says to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. What we read there is it's God's will for us to give thanks in all circumstances, even circumstances as crushing and as painful as we just read about with Hudson Taylor and his wife. Now, why? Why can we give thanks in all circumstances, good and bad? First, because God preserves you. God preserves you. If you look at verses five to 16 in this psalm, you see the psalmist talk about the utter distress that he finds himself in. And he uses very vivid language of being hated, of being surrounded by enemies, of being pushed so hard that he was falling. This is a, a description of the human experience. The times where you are, you are pushed to the brink to the point where you feel like if I get one more push or I get one more set of adverse circumstances, I'm falling over the cliff. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there this morning. I feel like I'm, I'm on the edge of distress over my circumstances and one more little nudge and I'm, I'm gone. That's what the psalmist is expressing here. And yet in verses 5 to 16, what is most prominent is not that distress, although it's there. What's most prominent is the description of God in the midst of it. You'll see four descriptions of God in the midst of this distress. And each description is repeated two or three times. So verses 6 to 7, the Lord is on my side. Verses eight to nine, the refuge of the Lord. Verses 10 to 12, in the name of the Lord. That's referring to the powerful name of the Lord. Verses 15 to 16, the right hand of the Lord. The right hand being the place of power, speaking to the power of God. So in these descriptions, you have imagery of a battle. The Lord is on our side. You have imagery of protection and shelter the refuge of the Lord. And you've got imagery of absolute power, the name and the right hand of God. Now you say, what? 
does this mean in the midst of my circumstances? Well, verse six, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear, is quoted in Hebrews chapter 13, verse six. And there, the writer of Hebrews sets up this quote from Psalm 118 with a command regarding money. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right, then the quote, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. So in that specific example, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, when you fall on financially hard times, when you don't know where the next paycheck's coming from, when you don't know how you're gonna put food on the table, when you're financially at a place of distress, he says, remember, the Lord will never leave you or forsake you because the Lord's on your side. There's nothing to fear. And then you, you broaden that to any circumstance and the exhortation is that God is on your side, that God is fighting for you, that God is a, is a refuge. The Lord's a refuge, a place of protection. And beyond that, with the right hand of God, that place of power, you can be assured that any adverse circumstance in your life is in your life because it has first passed through the right hand of God. And you can be assured that any adverse circumstance in your life will not leave your life until it first passes through the right hand of God. That God's hand of power is protecting you, is preserving you. He is on your side. I remember growing up in South Florida, we had this series of consecutive break-ins in our home. Three Mondays in a row, and in one of those break-ins, we were asleep. The, the burglar crawled into, through a window in our house, went into our den, and took my mother's purse that was on a chair in the den. About a week later, we get a very strange phone call from someone who had, quote, found my mother's purse in a dumpster in a very dangerous part of town. And this person said, if you will come meet me in this parking lot, in this dangerous part of town, uh, you can get your purse back. I was probably in late elementary school, maybe fifth grade, if I'm remembering correctly. So obviously we called the police. The police said, we will escort you there. Now, under any normal circumstances, my mother and I, who ended up going, would have never driven into a parking lot in this part of town, let alone to go pick up her purse from the person who, quote, found it. But we were escorted by a police officer. And I remember driving into this parking lot with the police officer next to us with absolutely zero fear, complete security, because the police officer was on our side and the police officer had the power to protect us. In every circumstance of your life, God is on your side. And he is a refuge of protection that brings incredible security. And not only security, but joy as well. Look at the end of 
this five to, verses five to 16 description of the distress and the power of God, we get to the end of it, verses 14 to 15. And it says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. So the psalmist gets from distress to the description of the power of God. And then he erupts in glad songs of salvation. Now notice here where the joy comes from. The joy does not come from circumstantial change. The joy comes from the Lord. It says the Lord, not a new circumstance, not the Lord is my strength and my song. And then glad songs of what? Salvation which verse 22 is pointing to. It's, a, it's a, a verse that is pointing to the Christ. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's speaking of ultimately the salvation of the Messiah to come. Jesus was rejected, rejected onto a hill, on the hill of Golgotha on a cross to die, but he became the cornerstone. He's the one that's accomplished our salvation. And so the response to verse 22 is verse 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoicing in salvation that comes from Christ. Now, I just said joy doesn't come from circumstantial change. That's not entirely true. Because if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ and you have received his salvation... Your circumstances have changed. Where and how you will spend eternity has changed. Your hope has changed. Your purpose has changed. Your reason for getting out of bed in the morning has changed. Right? The, the, The salvation of Jesus Christ brings security and it brings a joy. If you participated in community Bible reading this past week, you would have read Isaiah 12, 3. It says this, With joy, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, not you will draw water from the wells of your circumstances, but you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Maybe that the volume in your life Right? The, the volume of your circumstances needs to be turned down. And the volume of Christ's salvation needs to be turned up. That is true for everyone because our circumstances are like a megaphone. They're a megaphone. The call is to turn that megaphone of your circumstances down and to turn up the volume of Christ's salvation. You know, this Psalm 118 This Psalm 118 meant so much to some of the Protestant reformers in in, in the times where they were not forsaking their faith, when they were standing up for their faith and paying dearly for it. In fact, one of them, Louis Rank, was a Huguenot pastor who was captured and condemned to die in 1745. He was offered life if he would renounce his faith. He rejected the offer, and as he was being escorted to the scaffolding to be executed, he sang a French version of verse 24. 
This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Two weeks later, another Huguenot pastor, his name was Jacques Roger, was imprisoned at the age of 70. For 40 years, he had escaped his enemies. And at age 70, he was in prison. In prison, he was encouraging the other prisoners to stand for their faith, to not renounce Christ. And when the officers came to escort him to his place of execution, he too quoted verse 24 of Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. With joy you draw from the well of salvation. The reason that you can give thanks in all circumstances is because God preserves you in every circumstance. And your security and your joy in the midst of that circumstance comes from the salvation of Jesus Christ that has already been accomplished. The challenge is to turn that volume up in your heart. Why can you give thanks in all circumstances? First, because God preserves you in all circumstances. Second, because God transforms you in all circumstances. Look at verse 18. The Lord has disciplined me severely. Now, we read that, and I guarantee in a lot of you, there's a visceral reaction there's a, a reaction of, 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 what does this mean? It sounds harsh. And here's why we have that visceral reaction is because we talk about discipline as a synonym of punishment. But discipline and punishment are very different. The word discipline here means to correct or to instruct. It means to correct or to instruct. In the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer talks about discipline as training, as instruction, and compares it to a father and a son. So Hebrews 12, 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure, and it's talking about hardship, adverse circumstances. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline. Now, think about the way you discipline your children. As soon as I say that, as soon as I say disciplining your child, what do you think about? You think about that moment after they disobey and what transpires in that moment after they disobey. Now, that is certainly discipline, but discipline is so much bigger than that. Everything you do with your child is about discipline, instruction, training, and nurture. So, for example, when you don't let them watch a TV show because they've had too much screen time that day, that's discipline. When you don't let them uh, spend time with a certain friend group unsupervised, that's discipline. Uh, when you read a Bible story to them or, or lead a devotional time with them or capture that teachable moment, with the gospel. That's discipline. When you purposely have them spend time with a young adult that is a tremendous positive influence for the Lord, that's discipline. Discipline is instruction. It's training. 
It's nurture, it's molding and shaping. And so you as parent are monitoring what comes in and out of your child's life for the purpose of discipline, training and instruction in the Lord, and it's born out of love. There are two incredibly important truths about discipline that flow out of this psalm. Number one is that the motivation behind God's discipline is his goodness and steadfast love. Look at verse one of this psalm. And by the way, the, the end of the psalm ends with the exact same copy of verse one. It's like bookends. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Now, you know what the circumstances were we just read in verses five to 16. Okay? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. That means that the discipline that God brings into your life, which simply means that God's right hand of power is allowing certain things into your life, circumstances, and then removing circumstances from your life. His motivation is born out of love. It is not born out of punishment, retribution. Why are we assured of that? Because when Jesus died on the cross, he took your punishment in full for sin. It's gone. So all that can be left is God's loving discipline to form you and to shape you. But it's born out of love. It always is. The second truth about discipline is that the goal of God's discipline is life, not death. Now, you may say, I get that, Keith. I understand that. But you know full well that when you're in the midst of adversity, in an adverse circumstance, that many times it feels like you're dying. It doesn't feel like you're coming alive. And yet, verse 17, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. So in those moments, in the midst of adverse circumstances that make you feel like, maybe you say, I don't feel like I'm dying, but my life is being drained and taken from me. We hear this truth that God is actually bringing life to you. And that life, Romans 8 describes, being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ right now is alive. The right hand of the Father in a glorified body, and the scriptures say when he returns, we will receive a glorified body like his. You will be, when Christ returns, if you are in Christ and you've trusted him, you will be just like Jesus Christ minus divinity. Everything God is doing in your life all that he's allowing into your life, what he's taking away from your life is the discipline of moving you towards that end when you will have a glorified body like Christ. He's conforming you into the image of Christ. Now, if pain is the loudest microphone in your life right now, this will be hard to see. Because in the midst of pain, as I said, it feels like death. 
it certainly doesn't feel like you're coming more alive in the midst of pain. And when that microphone is loud, it's hard to hear this and make the two come together. And again, the challenge is that that microphone of pain gets turned down in the salvation of Jesus Christ. The volume gets ratcheted up in the truth of what Christ is doing in your life to shape you and deform you. Hebrews 12, 11 says it this way. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Amen. Rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. My kids have this little Play-Doh extruder toy. It is so cool. Isn't that awesome? When, as a parent, you end up sometimes playing with toys that your kids have more than it's fun. Little Play-Doh extruder toy. And it basically works like this. You take a blob of Play-Doh, unshaped blob of Play-Doh, you stick it in the top, you put the top on, and then it almost, it works like a syringe, so you push it. On the other end of the column is a place for an attachment. And there are different shaped attachments. So if you put the triangle attachment on the end, as you push this syringe-like thing down, the Play-Doh comes out in the perfect shape of a triangle. The Play-Doh is conformed into the shape of a triangle. Now, let me personify this for a second. Imagine being that Play-Doh and being pushed and pulled and squeezed, right? Not pleasant at all. And yet, it's being conformed, right, into the shape of this triangle. Discipline is the same way. It is painful. It is not pleasant in the moment. But you can be assured that God is conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ more and more. That that's the work of transformation he's doing. So in a circumstance that can feel like death, in Christ, you are actually being made more alive. Now, you got to sit on that for a second. In the midst of that circumstance where the pain feels like death and life is being stripped from you, God says, no, I am actually making you more alive in Christ. That is the truth of what's happening. And so you can be assured that in all circumstances, God is transforming you. Why can you give thanks in all circumstances? Because God is preserving you in every circumstance. God is transforming you in every circumstance. And finally, God is building his church in all circumstances. Verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This verse is actually quoted by Peter in Acts chapter four, verse 11. It says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone is that first stone laid in the construction of a building. And the placement of that stone is absolutely critical because where that stone is laid, that determines the line of the wall. 
So if that stone is off, then the entire wall of the building will be off. And that's why that stone actually has to be perfect. Can't be chipped, cracked, can't be misshaped. And so a builder will look through the stones and if it's not perfectly shaped to be the cornerstone, he'll reject it into a scrap pile. Jesus was the stone that was rejected by the world. And yet in God's sight, he was precious and chosen to be that perfect cornerstone upon which God would build his church and his kingdom. Jesus is the cornerstone. Say, what's this have to do with my adverse circumstances? 1 Peter 2, 4. As you come to him, speaking of Jesus, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, what does this mean? It means that when you come to Christ, a living stone, that you can expect to experience similar rejection and adversity as he did in ways sometimes that the world says, that is foolish, you get rejected. In fact, some of you have come to Christ just recently and you have experienced the world, i.e. your friends, your friend group, people around you that have said, that's the craziest thing. They've mocked you. They've said, that is just foolish. What are you doing? Listen to me. You are precious in the sight of God. The world's gonna reject you because they rejected Jesus. And when you attach yourself to him by faith, you can expect that same adversity, but you are chosen and you are precious in God's sight and he is building his kingdom and his church on the cornerstone of Jesus and you are a living stone in that construction project. That's God's blueprint. God chooses, as we, as we read in the, in the letters to the Corinthians, God chooses the lowly, the foolish, the weak to build his kingdom. And what exactly is the church that God is building through the stone that the builders rejected? Well, this verse 22 of Psalm 118 is also quoted in Ephesians chapter two. Verse 20 talks about Jesus as the cornerstone. And then Paul says this, in Christ, you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The church is the dwelling place for God. That means, and the church is not a building, it's a people. It's a community of people. That means that God is building a dwelling place for himself in his people that he has chosen and called out of the world to be one with Christ. And then the invisible God becomes visible to the world through this community of people that he is building and drawing together. I love the shift that this psalm takes. Up until verse 22, the psalmist talks in singular language. It's I, it's me. But then after verse 22, he changes. The language becomes plural. This is the Lord's doing. 
It is marvelous in our eyes. This is a day that the Lord has made. Let us, not just me, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Then verse 27, the Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. There's this movement in the Psalm from singular, just me, individual language, to plural, communal language. Why? Because God is building his dwelling place, his church. And that means this. It is so easy in adverse circumstances to become a navel gazer. And by that, I just mean that you, this in extreme self-focus, right? And, and that's just, it's a natural reaction to the pain of circumstances that, that suddenly everything turns inward. And yet what God is doing in your circumstances is so much bigger than just preserving you as an individual. So much more than just transforming you as an individual. Right? He's building a community, which means that your pain and your circumstances have more to do than with just you. That as you steward those circumstances well, he's using you as a living stone to build his community. That it's bigger than just you. There's a greater purpose in all this that the world could see a picture of who God is. Why can you give thanks in all circumstances? Because God preserves you in all circumstances. He transforms you in all circumstances. And he builds his church in all circumstances. Brennan Manning says this about giving thanks. I believe that the real difference in the American church is not between conservatives and liberals. Fundamentalists and charismatics nor between Republicans and Democrats. The real difference is between the aware and the unaware. When somebody is aware of that love, the same love that the Father has for Jesus, that person is just spontaneously grateful. Cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic of the interior life. And the byproduct of gratitude is joy. We're not joyful and then become grateful. We're grateful. We're thankful. And that makes us joyful. Let's pray. Father, if we're honest, we come to you and say that we feel like we're being pushed so hard that we're falling off the cliff. That our circumstances have gotten so dire, that we're full of so much distress that we feel like we're on the brink of being pushed over the edge. And yet in the midst of that distress, we hear you loud and clear this morning that you are preserving us. Father, we believe that any circumstance that comes into our life first passes through your hand, that your motivation for allowing it to pass into our lives is born out of love and out of your goodness. And Father, we also know that that adverse circumstance in our life will not leave until it passes through your hand. And so we trust the timing.
of how long you will keep it there, that you preserve us. And Father, we believe that you are transforming us into the image of Christ through every circumstance. Father, we believe that in what is a head-scratcher for the world, that you are building your kingdom through the stone that the builders rejected, through your son, Jesus Christ, who was beaten, mocked, thrown onto the scrap pile of the hill of Golgotha, nailed to a cross with two common criminals. And yet we think about that centurion that watched your son Jesus die and that as he saw it happen, proclaimed in a loud voice, surely this is the son of God. In that moment, Father, when the world seemed to win and the enemies seemed to win and they finally got rid of your son, that you were accomplishing the salvation of the world and that if we're in Christ this morning, that was when our salvation was accomplished. So Father, we trust you that you build and you call and you grow your people and your church through adverse circumstances that we would never choose on our own, but we gladly offer ourselves. We think about Hudson Taylor, his interaction, that missionary and his wife, and when he lost his wife and his child, the, the deep pain, but the deep assurance, God, that he had. Lord, would you give us that as we root ourselves in Christ and attach ourselves to your son, Jesus. And we pray this all in his name and for his sake. Amen.